Most of us have had many jobs. And we've had different kinds of bosses and different kinds of leaders. I've had some terrible bosses who would yell and scream at me and cut me down at every opportunity they got to make themselves look better. And the way these bosses led actually made me a worse employee, made me not want to work. It made me not want to do the things I knew I needed to do. I've also had fun bosses, like a couple of the bosses I had at Chuck E. Cheese who would, that always gets a laugh. I, no matter how many times I mentioned I work at Chuck E. Cheese, it's, it's just as if it never, uh, never mentioned it before. But they would make these pizzas, and they'd get General Tso's chicken and broccoli, and they'd make all these crazy pizzas for us, and six-foot-long strombolis that would be coming out of one side of the oven before the uh, other part had even started cooking. And these were fun bosses, and, and we uh, did have a good time, but none of us were growing or getting better as people. We were just fooling around. And then I've also had good bosses, ones that cared about me, and they told me that I was valuable, but also how I could get better. And they brought the best out of me. And I left those jobs more prepared to, to be who God made me to be. We've been talking about the leaders that God used and that God rejected in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We've seen Hannah, the mother of Samuel, with her desperation for a child, but her persistence to take that need to God. And she dedicated her son to God for the rest of his life. And we also see the priest Eli, uh, the apathetic leader who did little to correct the wrongs around him. And then there's Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were wicked and stole from God's people and from God's house. And then we see Samuel who is hearing God's voice, even as a young man, and serving God humbly. Last week, you talked about King Saul, who starts off scared and insecure, but ends up full of himself. He buys into his own hype. At the beginning of the series, we compared the prayers of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we saw in both instances the gratitude that they had, that they were blessed with these babies. But they also talked about the humble being exalted and the proud being made low. Jesus also acted this out, rejecting the proud Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and accepting and welcoming those that were considered outcasts and undesirables by society. Then James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God rejected the throne of Saul. King Saul is brought low because of his pride. And we see God raise up a humble leader. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 15 today. Very familiar story if you grew up in church. Or if you've ever watched sports, right? It's David and Goliath uh, that we uh, talk about all the time. 1 Samuel, chap uh, Samuel chapter 15 verse 34. The prophet Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Samuel had warned the people against asking for an earthly king because God was their king. But Samuel is grieved over Saul's sins and, he, uh, and this end of Saul's reign. 
And God also had feelings of, about Saul's mistakes. The word here that is used in the English is regretted, but that doesn't mean that God made a mistake, but rather that he was grieved and he was disappointed. And it hurt God to see King Saul fall, the king of Israel. He wasn't standing back saying, I told you this was going to happen, and gloating about it. But God was ready to choose his next king. In 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Saul's work for God had ended, but the work was going to go on. And this is an important lesson for us because none of us are integral to God's plan. God can accomplish whatever he wants without us. And it is a privilege and an honor to be used in even a small way in God's plan. A few chapters earlier, God had told Saul that your time as king is coming to an end and I'm going to seek someone that is after my heart. The prophet Samuel heads to the house of Jesse, humbly following God, even though this message to anoint a new king, when they already had a king, would be dangerous. If King Saul found out, this might be a big problem. And it would have been a great honor for the prophet Samuel to visit Jesse's house. And Jesse brought his sons, uh, seven of them, out to stand before Samuel the prophet. Notice what town they're in as well, uh, Bethlehem. Does that ever come up, you know, at a certain time of year for you? You've heard of that before, right? They're in Bethlehem. Samuel looked at the strongest and most handsome and smartest of Jesse's son. You could just imagine like seven of me uh, to just get a picture of that. But none of them were God's pick for the next king. God was looking at their hearts And finally, after Samuel had looked at all the sons, he asked if there are any more. And Jesse said, yeah, there is, but he's the youngest. Surely he's not the first choice. He's out there looking after the sheep while everybody else is here. And David is not from a particularly special family, and he's the least of all of his brothers. No one's beating down the door to make David king. He wouldn't win any vote. But we'll find this that made David the perfect candidate. David was very aware that he needed God's power to accomplish anything. David knew that he could not do it on his own. Verse 13 in chapter 16, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Young David would become that humble man after God's heart. And God told Samuel to anoint David with oil. And this was a symbol of David being covered with God's presence as that oil poured over his head. And David would be the next king. But not today. Not until it was God's timing. Meanwhile, Saul is tormented in his soul, and he is uh, the king, but he knows that God has moved on, and God had rejected him, and that the Spirit of the Lord was no longer working in his life, and he was depressed, and he was in grief. 
And Saul's servants noticed this, and they called for someone to play the harp to soothe Saul's mind. Young David was known as a skillful harp player. And unbeknownst to Saul, he ends up with the next king playing him these uh, melodies to soothe his tortured mind. And little David became a fixture in Saul's court. David apparently did everything he did with all his might. He protected the sheep from lions and bears, killing them with his bare hands. And he played the harp so skillfully that he was handpicked by the king. And next king Saul is so impressed by David that he makes David his personal armor bearer. This was a big deal. Someone that King Saul really trusted. During this time, it appears that David would still go back home and help with his father's sheep. And while David is away, that Philistine army that had defeated Israel before, that same one that had stolen the ark that we talked about a few weeks ago, and then they ended up returning it, well, they're back again. The Philistines are back this time with a giant of a man. Israel stood on one side of the valley of Allah, and the Philistines stood on the other, and the giant Goliath would stand in the middle, covered from head to toe with a heavy bronze army, and he carried a huge spear. And every day, Goliath would come out and mock Israel and their God, and he'd call for a champion to come out and fight for them. And if they won, the Philistines would be their servants. But if Goliath won, they would all serve the Philistines. Now Saul was a little bit older at this point, and his mind was not in the right place, and he was uh, depressed, and he was grieved, and he knew that God was not with him. And although he had been a great warrior before and a very tall man himself, Goliath had him shaking in his boots. No one wanted to go out and fight Goliath. And for 40 days this went on. Goliath got angrier and angrier and meaner and mocked Israel and their God even more. And the men of Israel cower in fear, just like their leader was doing. David's father, Jesse, told David to go and bring some supplies to his three oldest sons as they were out uh, there on the front lines at the battle of the Valley of Allah. Verse 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So Jesse's doing what a good citizen might do and sending supplies to the front lines. He sends David. No one thinks David needs to be on the front lines. He's just a young man, not particularly important. And here we see that David wasn't even the water boy, right? He's the cheese chap. Here's a picture of ancient cheese. I love that the Bible talks about cheese. Uh, Eight years ago, some Egyptian archaeologists found this 3,200-year-old cheese in a tomb. How many of you would like to be buried with a wheel of cheese? Yeah. The Saul tried to bribe them. Uh, to fight Goliath. All these men with money and fame and even a marriage to his own daughter. But David wasn't concerned with any of that. As he comes up to the front line, then he hears that Goliath is blaspheming God and he knows in his heart that that needs to stop. Verse 32. 
David comes to King Saul and, and is trying to figure out what Saul's going to do about this man blaspheming God. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and they took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has also struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. And he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord will deliver me, uh, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And Saul sends this young man out instead of him to go and face Goliath. David's ready to stand up to this giant, but not because of his might, not because of his skills or his physical attributes, but because God has delivered him before and God would deliver him now. The people were telling David that he was too young and that he couldn't do it. But David trusted in God alone. His faith was not in his experience or in his talent. It was in the God of Israel. He had seen God work before and he knew God would work now. Saul tries to give him his armor, but David didn't want it. So David went out to face Goliath with only a sling, five river rocks, and the creator of the universe. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will stri uh, strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. These guys really knew how to trash talk, right? <laughs> I'm going to cut your head off and the birds are going to eat your body. Why though? Not because David is trying to pump himself up. He tells us why here. He says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or with spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. It's clear who David was doing this for. It wasn't for his glory or his fame. He knew God had chosen him for something great, and the Lord would fight this battle, and the Lord would receive all of the glory. The battle was in God's hands alone. Now, Hophni and Phinehas took the ark out to battle, right? They thought this religious symbol would save them. But David knew that it was God alone that would win this battle against this giant. Now, Goliath wasn't impressed by David. But Goliath was defeated by David. And a rock from David's sling struck Goliath in the head, and he fell. And the Philistines fled. David didn't set out to kill giants that day. He was just carrying cheese. Goliath set himself as an enemy of God. But David had enough faith to say, if no one else will stand for God, I will. David receives the rewards for his victory, but he stays humble. 
And he knew he was just the Lord's servant, and it was only because of God. But Saul, who was previously quaking in his war tent, afraid to go out to fight, now was angry and jealous because God had used David to defeat Goliath. The people made it worse by singing songs about how much mightier David was than Saul. Saul grows angrier and angrier, and his heart twisted more and more with jealousy, and he ends up trying to kill David. David did nothing wrong. He didn't prod uh, Saul's jealousy. David wasn't out there trying to uh, make himself something. He just was following God, but it doesn't matter. Saul wants to see David dead because David reminds him of his mistakes. Be careful that you don't become like Saul when you lose power or popularity that you once had. Life ebbs and flows, and if we aren't careful, we can become consumed with jealousy like Saul, and it will ruin you and turn you into a bitter shell of who you used to be. Saul's trying to kill David, and David goes on the run for years from Saul. But God protected him and provided for him. David was somewhere in his later teens when he defeated Goliath, but he didn't become king until he was 30 years old. That's a long wait. And all the while, he never got in front of God's plan. And the Psalms are filled with his prayers during this time. This is perhaps the time that he is the most uh, close to God in David's whole entire life. Praising God and seeking his face and asking for help. And we see these Psalms of David all throughout the Bible. But David waited. Even when he had a chance to kill Saul, take his rightful throne. But he humbled himself and he knew God would work in his timing. And David had success as long as he humbly and radically trusts God. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we see this truth lived out in the life of David, first with proud Saul and then with proud Goliath, that God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. And David waits and trusts God's timing. Saul was a leader that was consumed with his image and power and his own ideas, and he ends up tragically killing himself in order to save himself from humiliation in his mind. Four years ago, we actually preached through a a whole series on the life of King Saul. If you want to check that out, it's uh, there on the website. But Saul was a leader consumed with himself. Started out as consumed with himself because of insecurity. And that insecurity, once people began to feed into it, then became pride and arrogance. And it destroyed him. Goliath was a leader consumed by anger and mocking and rejecting God. And he trusted in his own talents and abilities. But David was a leader who waited when it was time to wait. And he was bold when it was time to act. And in the in-between, he prepared himself. And he took every job seriously. And he did it to the glory of God. Even when it was just watching sheep, playing the harp, or carrying cheese. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever talks about themselves and pushes their ideas out there all the time and pushes themselves for position or power or popularity, they will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself 
be exalted. And all of this, through the humility of the first half of David's life, we see this simple servant who is willing to stand up and put his life on the line for God. And we see the echoes of the messianic prophecies of Genesis when the Messiah would strike down the head of Satan. And Goliath is a stand-in, a picture of all that wickedness. But the one who was after God's heart had the victory. Jesus is a better David, the son of David. And see, the, the, the point of this story is not that you are David. Your problems aren't Goliath, because you aren't the hero, and David wasn't the hero. Jesus, the son of David, is the ultimate hero. He defeats the things that we could never dream of fighting, like sin and death and the grave. And all the Bible points to Jesus. So the point is not just to hit your giants just right, or muster up enough bravery even when you're scared. No, the lesson here is that you can't do it. That God is the one that won this battle. But, like David, we can rely completely on our Creator and be constantly aware of our need for a Savior. And David has many more victories in his future, but he also has some tough and tragic defeats. And it's when he took his eyes off of Jesus and that uh, relationship with God that he had and the future relationship with Christ. We can rely completely on our creator like David did in the first half of his life. Like young David, remembering who we are, trusting God to fight our battles. And never getting in front of God's will to be patient and wait, even when it's tough. And even when it feels like you're in the wilderness for years running. Be reminded that you can't do it on your own. In this series, we've seen um, some prophets and priests and kings that have rejected God. And some that have humbled themselves before the mighty hand of God. There is only one wise choice. God's ways are better than your ways. And we see here that God rejects the proud, rejects those that force their way, rejects those that make it all about themselves, and he lifts up the humble. And that's not a promise that you should claim to to be lifted up, but a promise that you should claim because that is what God wants for your life. A life where it's not about you, but it's about loving God and loving others and putting Him at the center of your life. With every head bowed and eyes closed, we've seen in the book of 1 Samuel, vividly, the type of people that God rejects and the type of people that God lifts up. We see young Samuel. We see Hannah, who is broken. We see young David, who knows that it's not about him, but it's that God will deliver him. 
Then we see Eli who is apathetic and, and just sits still while wickedness goes on. And we see Hophni and Phinehas who are all about fulfilling their desires. And we see King Saul who is insecure in the beginning and, and kind of knows that he needs God. But then he gets filled up with his own ideas and his own thoughts. And begins to think that he's something. Going as far as thinking that he could do the job of the priest. And God rejects him. And there's two paths stand before you of what type of life you want to lead. A life of, hum- uh, of humble uh, surrender to God and His will and whatever He wants you to do. Or a life where you try and halfway fit God into your life and He's just an accessory. You kind of do some things that make it seem like You think you've pleased God enough, but it's really about your way and your will and your plans and your schedule, your ideas, your opinions. The Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And for us to think that there's even a choice between our way and his way is it. It's a great act of pride. As we take some time to pray, the amazing opportunity for you to call out to God and say, God, forgive me. God, help me to be humble. God, help me to run to you and your word and through time of prayer and meditation on what your, your word says instead of trying to plan everything out and think that my way will work the best place that you could ever be in your relationship with God is to know that you can't do it surrender waving the white flag say God you're going to have to do it God I'll step where you tell me to step I'll do what you tell me to do but I know ultimately it is all in your hands any credit belongs to you that I'll never fall into the temptation to think that I'm better than somebody else because of what you have done through me That I'll not allow my intelligence or my looks or my station in life to help me think that I can do it without you. God gives grace to the humble. We are standing in need of that grace. Pride comes before the fall. The problem is many of us get back up and fall right into that same pattern of pride. God's allowed us to fall and allowed us to fall and allowed us to fall and we have continued to try it the same way. 
instead of getting back up and humbly saying, God, I, I did it again. Forgive me. Lord, help me to rely 100% solely on you. Maybe you're here today and you haven't done that yet with your life. So you have a choice. God gives us this thing called a free will to choose him or to choose to center our lives on ourselves. See, we've got this problem called sin that started way back at the beginning. And ever since then, sin and death and disease and sorrow and wars and, and all of it has come and flooded into this world because of our sin. We all participate in it. But that sin separates us from a holy God. And the greatest and first act of humility in your relationship with God is saying, God, I need you. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man, died on the cross in our place. That wasn't a defeat. It was always the plan from the beginning of time that the Lamb of God would take on the sins of the world. And in both directions, Jesus died for the sins of entire humanity. And he died for your sins. And then he rose again from the grave, breaking the chains of sin and death forever. And the Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's an act of saying, God, I can't save myself. I put all my faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, there's wages for our sins and that's separation from God forever in a place called hell and separation from God in this life. But you can call out to God right now lay down your pride and lay down your good works and put all your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. The words aren't important, but it's a calling out from God, a repentance. You can call out right now, once and for all. You can say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know there's a penalty for my sin, a punishment in hell. God, forgive me. I lay aside all that the works I put my, my faith in, and I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you and you made that choice today once and for all. It's not a prayer you have to pray every day, although it's good for us to remind ourselves who's in charge. This is uh, what the Bible talks about as salvation. Or the Bible even says to be born 
again. This is a genuine decision in your heart to put all your faith in Jesus Christ and become a Jesus follower. And if you made that choice today, I'd love for you to write that on your connection card. I choose Jesus. Because Pastor Scott or I would love to follow up with you and talk to you about what that means. Because it's the beginning of the most amazing journey ever. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you help us to be a humble church. God, help us to put our faith in your ideas and not our own. God, help us not to fight about different little opinions and things that are important. God, help us to hold you above everything else. God, help us to treat each other with love and compassion, putting others' needs before our own. God, help us to be like you. God, pray that for any of us, Lord, and myself included, when that pride creeps up in my heart, that we squash it, we put it away, and we take time to repent. We begin to think that our ideas are big ideas and that everyone else should listen to them and get in line. God, I pray that you humble us, help us to wait, and help us to trust you. God, because we know you reject the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, I pray you help us to be people of grace. In your name we pray.